First impressions aren't the most important thing. They're the only thing. At Ernie's Print Shop, we'll produce what you need to represent your company professionally. Right now, you can get 1,000 full-color business cards, 1,000 4x6 postcards, or a 3x5 banner for just $60. You choose. Check us out at Ernie'sPrintShop.com. Ernie's Print Shop. Over 50 years, one source, one solution. Ernie'sPrintShop.com. 502-969-8585. Being a victim of crime is no joke, but you do have options that can help you avoid becoming a victim. I'm Ed Springston of the My View Matters Radio Show, and on behalf of myself and co-host Ed Martin, I urge each of you to help us fight against crime. You can do your part by calling Crime Stoppers at 582 Clue. Since 1982, Crime Stoppers has helped get over 23,000 criminals off the street with your help. Working together, we can make a difference to take our streets back. Please call Crime Stoppers at 582-CLUE, or you can visit them online at www.582clue.com. Remember, Crime Stoppers always offers up to a $1,000 reward. Get involved and help make a positive change in your neighborhood. Thanks. Advertisers, here's a great way to reach a quality audience. Get heard on My View Matters and make some noise in the marketplace. Email myviewmatters at aol.com for advertising opportunities. Make a sound investment. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, yes, welcome once again to the Ed Springston Show, brought to you by the MBM Radio Network, home of edspringston.com, where you can go for all the latest stories, podcasts, really whatever we've got going. While you are at edspringston.com, I would ask you to please do a few things. First and foremost, like the thousands of people before you, please join the email newsletter. We'll send you updates on a weekly or a monthly basis for your choice. Secondly, please join the RSS feed. Yes, we'd love to send our podcast direct to your inbox so you can join the thousands of others who already have that done. And finally, donate, donate, donate. If you're in a giving mood and you like this show, we would appreciate it. We have a handy-dandy PayPal link on the donate button at edsprings.com. kind of helps us pay for the overhead and things like that. In the meantime, call-in number is always 858-683-1326. Uh, for those of you in the listening queue, hit the number one on your dial pad. We'll try to get you on there as soon as possible. And the live chat is now open, and you can also reach me at Ed Springston on Facebook through Messenger. So, there we go. All the ways to get a hold of us, all the rigmarole we got to do for the company side of it. Let's just move on to business. First, I don't know where Ed Martin is, uh, quite honestly. I really, really don't. I'm not sure what's going on. 
Uh, he sometimes gets busy with that whole situation where, you know, he's got to run this business that Barack Obama built for him, uh, you know, so he can make all the money for these Democrats and liberals to take away from him. So he should join us shortly, I would think, unless he's at a business meeting. And, you know, there's a whole lot of things going on. We're going to start with one story. A couple of things I really want to get into tonight. Uh, you know, you guys can, can can jump in anytime you want to, uh, you know. But at the same time, we've really got a situation developing in Louisville. We continue talking about how uh, badly the crime is here. I mean, it's, it, it's to the point now in Louisville where you can't even go out in public. Uh, that's right. You can't go out in public and enjoy a dinner. Uh, over the weekend... Uh, there was a shooting at the Olive Garden um, in the Jefferson Mall on uh, Saturday night. Uh, apparently, a, a Mexican, Hispanic, whatever you want to use, you know, use your politically correct term here, uh, Jose Munoz, uh, was a Sellersburg, was eating there, and he was died after being shot by a black man, African-American, Devon Frank Briggs. Uh, from what I gather... Over all of this, Ed Martin is with us. By the way, Mr. Martin, how are you? Oh, holding up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. We uh, kind of getting into this Olive Garden shooting right now. Uh, but according to a Paola Rodriguez, um, who apparently was the sister uh, of one of the two men that were there, uh, I'm just going to read you what she has posted. My brother, his wife, his sister-in-law, her husband, two children, both of them had two children, uh, went to eat at Olive Garden. The black guy got mad because my three-year-old niece bumped into him, and he pushed her to the floor and said, what are you doing here? So my sister-in-law told him there was no need to do that. At that point, he got in her face and told her many racist things and told her to get any closer, and she would see. Uh, my brother got in between and ended the argument. Minutes later, the guy started arguing with my brother again, and then he got his gun out, and the other guy got in front of my brother, and he shot him instead of my brother in front of his two boys and my brother's two daughters. He died at the hospital. Uh, this is this is the thing with this. You know, I, this Devon Frank Briggs is the shooter's name. He was arrested. Uh, last I saw, I believe he had a million-dollar bond put on him. Uh, you know, this is how easy it is these days. You go into a place, try to enjoy a dinner. A three-year-old, and I have no reason to doubt this woman's story. This is what she posted herself. Uh, claims to be a family member, but I also have no reason to verify it. So let's, let's be clear here. I'm not verifying anything. I'm just reading you what is out there. And, you know, this guy comes in. He gets pissed off because a three-year-old jumps in front of him. He says a lot of racist things, apparently because it's Hispanic or Mexican or whoever. Pulls his gun in, a, in, a, in, a, in an oral confrontation, not a physical confrontation, an oral confrontation because he gets pissed off. You don't like somebody talking back to him. This is the thug life, folks. This is what we deal with every day in Louisville. Now it's happening in restaurants. Another shooting over the weekend. They found a body in a Myers parking lot. A guy was shot there. Um, you know, all of these things add up. Louisville has become a crime-ridden town. Uh, you know, you can blame the mayor. And the local Democrats, because they have all the power here. Don't you know? Don't don't sit here and give me the the political thing that is everybody's fault. No, those guys have all the power. They put the handcuffs on police. Do not let the police do their job because they're under constant criticism and constant watch. 
And now we're having open shootings in restaurants because I don't like the way you look at me or talk to me. Ed, go ahead. Well, you know, one of the things I've got to wonder is when I saw the report and uh, read the, the Facebook thing is that the shooter was uh, making ethnic and, you know, racist remarks. He is, Were you surprised is by that? that? Is, is that a hate crime? Of course it's a hate crime, but they won't charge him with a hate crime. They will not charge this guy with a hate crime. The white guy goes crazy. A known crazy white guy goes shooting up a store. You know, it's uh, because the comment he makes to somebody, another white person on the parking lot, it's a a hate crime. And that guy was crazy. I mean, he's crazy. A loon in basically the city. The authorities failed to keep the Kroger shooter from getting guns, even though he's crazy and violent. But, uh, no, I mean, this was... It did race and, and hate enter into it. And then, you know, he, he didn't shoot anybody else. He shot the he shot the Mexican, the Latino. So, right. I don't know. And then, I mean, and then, and then he ran I'm, out. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's just it's it's the damnedest thing. It's like what the hell happened? You know, just the good old good old days when if you had a disagreement with somebody, the high end. Oh, how you handle with it, you know. Actually, I should say the right. low end, but the, you know, the, the most violent you got with it. Well, it just started throwing hands, you know, and it didn't break out in knives. I mean, yeah, in my in my first somewhere along my first twenty years, I recall somebody picking up a uh, a milk crate right. one time, but but aside from that, <laughs> it, you know, what, what what's it what's what what's what's gotten wrong with the people that you you know that you and, and let's face it. it he had the gun on him. He he it was concealed illegally, you know, at least as far as the law goes right now. But you know, I'm looking I just yeah, I'm I think I'm with you. I wonder what the hell this this thug life crap this and and to me it's not a toughness, it's a weakness. It's like you know, you you can't you can't settle anything without bringing I guess you could say tools into it, you know. It's like look, you know, in, our, in our day in our day in our day we called that the pussy life. Because the pussies would sit there and run their mouth, and when they couldn't back it up, they'd grab something to try to hurt you with it because they were too fucking chicken shit to fight you. That's the pussy life. It's not the thug life. It's the pussy life. But go ahead. No. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, I just, it, it's, a, it's a societal thing that when people can snap over something that small. I mean, this is, this is not like somebody rammed your car or something. It's a 20-year-old bumped you. You know, and and you, you overreacted, which was probably not right. You know, somebody said something, you know, and it just kept escalating. I've I've had this talk with uh, you know employees and and some young people that I work with too. It's like you know, all of a sudden, all the problems in the world, all the problems you'll get yourself into come from the fact that you escalate. I said, you just at some point, you know, I said, look, but and I, I explained this to an employee one time that had an issue at work. I said, look. How do you lose your job? He's like, what are you talking about? And I said, okay, you go to a bar on the weekend, you bump into a guy, he spills a little bit of his beer, and turns around and says, hey, listen, asshole, watch where you're going. Right. And you, know, you and turn that, around and, that's and say, listen, listen, don't asshole me. I said, then you get in a fight, and the police lock you up, and you know, a couple of days later, you're, you know, you're, you're no call, no short work. You're out of a job. And it's like, no. Just people just have to learn to, to de-escalate. You know, somebody bumps you and says, "Hey, asshole, watch where you're going." Say, "Hey, sorry, walk away." 
It won't cost you any money. It really won't. It won't. It won't cost you any money. It won't cost you any time. It won't cost you any. But just people need to learn how to walk away from stuff. I mean, okay, so well, the guy shoved the kid. I mean, and I'm not going to say now the victim. Granted, somebody shoves a three year old. Yeah, I can see you taking up. But again, it's just if somebody somewhere needed to walk away and it didn't happen, and now it sounds like a really decent person is dead. Absolutely. So these people come in from Sellersburg to visit Louisville, spend money here. They're at the Olive Garden in Louisville at Jefferson Mall. So they're visiting okay. Louisville. They decide to go out uh, to the Olive Garden. Uh, you know. Family night out, you know. Absolutely. You got your kids with you. You're just having family time. Your three-year-old, as every three-year-old, ain't paying attention to where they're running around. They accidentally run into this guy, and he pushes a three-year-old down. Now, at that point, I would have knocked the motherfucker out. Because he just abused my three-year-old child. No, what happens, you know, the, the sister-in-law steps up and says, hey, there's no need to do that, so it doesn't escalate. So then he goes on a racist tirade against her and starts chewing her out, at which point the man has to get involved. You defend yeah. the woman. You don't let somebody abuse them like that. So this guy was, was out there thinking he was a badass, living a thug life. You know, he's a black guy screaming racist epithets at, at a Latino and all of a sudden, you know, he probably won't get charged with a hate crime. The problem I've got here is this. I'm getting sick of the hypocrisy and the double standards. All right? You want to bet this guy didn't have a concealed carry permit since they arrested him. They arrested him, and they're now charging him not just with murder. They're also charging him with uh, marijuana and possible trafficking. They found marijuana and other things in his car. Now, of course, the police are going to add every charge they can possibly think of. Whenever they charge anybody, they will charge you with anything they could possibly think of that may or may not apply. That's just the way it is. It's a way to get it in the system and make sure they've got something to hold you on. So he may have just had marijuana for his personal use. I don't know. All right? But they've got the handgun that was uh, apparently used in the killing, at least allegedly killed in the killing, used in the killing, I should say. They found marijuana in this guy's car. So he's in this restaurant pissed off because some three-year-old jumps at him, accidentally runs into him. And he starts screaming racial epithets. But because he's black, we won't charge a black guy with a hate crime. That's, that, that's what drives me completely nuts. The son of a bitch needs to be in jail if he's going to react like that. Not a doubt about that in my mind. None whatsoever, based on the current situation and based on the current evidence. You know, I will qualify it with that because I'm not a court. I haven't heard everything. Yeah. But, but, you know, this hate crime legislation crap that they continue to use against all white people. They don't use against anybody else. They have made it a field day for every black person in America to get away with these hate crimes. They've made it a field day, believe it or not, for every Latino in America to get away with hate crimes. How many of these guys have you seen that are non-white that are charged with hate crimes, even though they're racist and hate-filled people? See, that's the thing. They have made color the issue, which continues to fuel this kind of behavior. That's the problem I've got. That's the problem I've well, got. I don't know. I don't, and, and really I don't know if it fuels this. I don't know if it fuels this, this particular behavior because this is this is just people that just don't know. This is an individual who doesn't know how to de-escalate. This is an individual who, you know, I, I don't know what the guy's. Well, I know what the guy's problems are now. He's charged with murder and he's going to prison where his little ass can't protect himself because he's a little fella too. So, but yeah, it just. This, like you say, this, 
for me, it's just it's a bigger societal thing. It's just people can't walk away. People can't, you know, and you see it online all the time. People, the people just want to, they just want to escalate and escalate and escalate. And they just, sometimes I just think these people haven't been in enough fights. I think you probably have, and I know I have, to where you just, you know, it's like you're You've been in one or two. Yeah, can, can, you, can you win the fight? It's like, yeah, I probably can, but it's probably going to hurt. So, I, you know, it's going to hurt one way or the other. So I'd really rather just not. They don't have any perspective anymore. They don't have any self-control. And, you know, and, and this, like I say, it's not about the gun. For me, it's not about the gun. It's not about the, the you know, the race. Although the racial thing does come in with the epithets and, the, and it's, 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 it's the slurs he was allegedly right. hollering. But it, it's just people not knowing how to react, how to, how to act around people. It's, it's, it's a... But see, that's it, the it thing, is, though. This, this is a social thing. It's like, look, dude, you're, you're the Olive Garden. Chill out, sit down. They'll bring you more breadsticks, you know. Whatever it is, <laughs> you know, they'll bring you. You can just sit there and gnaw on breadsticks all night long, and they're not half bad. I don't like the olive garden, particularly, but they're not so bad, you know. It's like, you know, why, why did this happen? That's that's the whole thing. Why did this happen at the Olive Garden? It's a happy place, lots of food, you know. It's just, this right. is good. This is good, and. You know, okay, I get it. You're you down at Cole's place, and a bunch of people are drunk and sweaty and dancing and banging into each other and stuff. Yeah, you know, there's lots of shooting down there. Surprise! But it's not. See, here's crazy. the thing. You know, it's not a surprise. Yeah, this is like the Olive Garden. Well, <laughs> well I, I like. Understand. I can't. I don't particularly care for the Olive Garden either. I don't think their food is all that great. I think it's a waste of money. But that's just me. But when you look at this, you mentioned a social issue, and, and that's exactly right. That that's kind of the point I'm trying to get at. All right. This guy walks in. If this would have been a three-year-old black child that ran into him, would he have reacted the same way? Probably not. You know, and I, and I can say that with a lot of confidence because I see this every single day. And, you know, that's the problem for me. So this is, is when you talk about the social aspect, you've got this preconceived notion. So you turn around and push this three-year-old kid to the ground and start screaming racial epithets at him. Yeah, you may not be able to de-escalate. I agree with you. He's got a problem with that. But at the same token, you know, you've been led to believe for a lot of years now that your opinion matters more than anybody else's and and that you're a protected class, so fuck everybody else. And that's got to affect your mindset as you go through life. Now, I'm like you. Fighting to me is a lot like drinking, all right? And people are going to say, what the hell does he mean by that? It's real simple. When I was a young man, I could go out and get drunk the night before, work the next day, and never feel it. I think a lot of us could. As we get older, if we drink like that, it takes a lot longer to recover. Your hangover lasts a few days. You're really upbeat for a few days. It takes longer to recover from that. It's the same thing with fighting. As a young man, yes, I had my share of fights. I think we both did. You know, I've won my share of fights. That's fine. But as I get older, when people hit you, it hurts. It takes a little time to recover, you know. So to me, it's kind of a similarity. You know, I don't want to get in fights with people at my age. That's ridiculous. I'd just soon shoot you than fight you. And I know that sounds kind of weird in this situation. I'm not going to shoot you just to shoot you, but I'm certainly not going to sit there and get my ass beat either. Uh, you know, in this particular case, there was no physicality at all. He just decided to pull a handgun 
after screaming about these these, these Mexicans, Latinos, insert whatever you want now, to here. Yeah, you know, we got to keep it politically what, correct. What, what, yeah, what what's the bill today? You know. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You know, and and I get sick of that. You know, and and I tell you, this whole political correct environment creates a lot of this. You know, now I'm going to tell you before this is all over, they're going to blame Donald Trump for this. I'm sure of that. Donald Trump has created this racial division. They're not going to talk about. They're not going to talk about Ricky Jones, racist ass, getting a column in the Courier Journal, Kevin Cosby, and all these other people playing a race card, whatever it suits them. No, it'd be Donald Trump's fault in Louisville. But uh, you know, it, it does. It does bring up a lot of different things. And, and you mentioned social issues. We've got another little story here uh, that has to do with social issues. We're going to move on to some state stuff and federal stuff in a minute, folks. I promise you. But this is one that's interesting to me. Apparently. A teacher was fired after coming out as bisexual. Now, the thing that blew me away about this story, uh, you can give Joe Gerth credit for this story. This is what he does. Uh, but but the, way, the thing that blew me away about this is this teacher came out as bisexual, not to, to get any students in trouble or, or do that kind of crap. No, it says that he came out as bisexual because he had one student um, you know, who was talking about killing them, killing herself, um, you know, because they were struggling with their sexuality. So he decided to speak up. Uh, you know, so he went out, he posted on Instagram that he was bisexual and everything else because his students, I guess, follow him on Instagram. And the middle school that he worked at in Mount Sterling, J.B. McNabb Middle School, decided they were going to fire him uh, for not keeping his sexual preferences to himself. Now, I've got to tell you, if I've got a, a student or somebody I know who's threatening suicide and I can do something to stop that, I'm going to do anything I can. I don't care what it is. You know, you help yeah. people. All indications are that this guy, um, you know, well, basically went, went public with that, and that's why they fired him. Now, of course, the superintendent is saying it's because of his teaching technique uh, and things like that. Now, you know, he may have problems with that. I don't know. But I find it very odd that, that as soon as this thing hits Instagram, three days later, they call him in and fire him. Uh, you know, and all indications are, at least from what I'm reading about, that, that this guy really is good for his students. They respect him and everything else. So how did the Democrats let this happen? I mean, this is their, this is their pet issue. Everybody has to be gay and bisexual in this, in this city. In this state, if you're not gay and bisexual, they got no time for you. And here we've got a Kentucky teacher who was trying to do the right thing by his student to help his student, a middle schooler apparently, uh, was fired for coming out. When did that ever happen? This is the first case uh, I've heard of something like that. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know the school superintendent, but I'm just going to speculate. They're probably a dumbass, uh, part of a political point. <laughs> Because the thing is, is like, okay, so the guy came out as bi. So he he's let people know he was bi, is the question. Right. Well, he when did it on Instagram because it's a particular uh, yeah, student That's fine. That's fine. Okay. That's fine. And when you, when you are married to, now I'm just going to turn this around on the super. So he came out. So people know his sexuality now. Okay, big deal. So you marry a woman. Do people know your sexuality now? You get married and have kids. Is that not being rather public about your sexuality, I'm heterosexual. Look at me. I've got kids. Is it not? I, I totally agree. So that's what, yeah, so that's where I look at this and think, you know what? 
I could give two shits less about the cast. And I think the reason he did it is outstanding. And I think this is, this is you know, you say Democrats. Well, I'm going to say this is, these are Shades of Jerry Falwell going on right here. This is some holier-than-thou dude imposing his value system on somebody else who tried to do the right thing by a kid. You know what? I have two daughters. If they're going to high school and one of their male teachers comes out as gay, I am down with that. You know, you see all the, you know, <laughs> you know, good. Oh, well, you won't be touching my kids, you know. This is not right. your thing. Well, to me, it, you know, to me, it again, again, you know, you know the vast majority of people, you know their sexuality by their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They right. can be wide open with it as long as it's a guy and a girl or a girl and a guy. You know, as long as it's a heterosexual, we pretty much can gather that you are heterosexual and you're putting it out there. So why can't the gay guy do it? Well, why can't they there, do it? Why can't they do it? Well, there's a couple of things here I would probably disagree with you on. One, if my teacher was in the classroom oh, okay. talking about being bisexual, that would be a problem for me. That's not a classroom topic. Oh, just, yeah. All right. You know, but what he does. In the same, in the same as if, a, if, a, if a, a heterosexual teacher was talking about bumping nasties with their heterosexual mate, I'm I would have, have the same problem. With that too. Yeah. Absolutely. See, that's the thing. That's an equal problem. The classroom is not for that. In this particular case, he wasn't using the classroom to further any kind of agenda or further himself. He wasn't using the classroom to try to take advantage of this child. Uh, you know, we get stories every day of teachers. And you know, we had a story the other day about one teacher who drove all the way to Illinois with a 16-year-old student to have sex in a hotel room. He wasn't doing any of that. He saw that this kid no. was struggling with her sexuality, so he put an Instagram post out on his Instagram, not the school properties, you know, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're terminated for what you're doing in your personal time. He didn't badmouth the school. He didn't badmouth students. He didn't do anything work-related. He put out a personal mm-hmm. post on his personal life, on his personal account. That has zero to do with his job as a teacher. You know, and, then, and that's the thing. So this this is really incredible. Well, what really is more incredible, uh, this is where I, I was kind of surprised. There are only 10 cities in the state that offer civil rights protections to LGBTQ. Um, Kentucky civil rights law does not prohibit discrimination against people because of sexual orientation. Now, you know, um, I think I think that that's preposterous. I really do. Do I agree with the gay lifestyle? No. I've been very vocal about that. But I also believe in equal rights. It's not my business what your sex life is all about. The only thing I'm concerning myself about is if you're in school and teaching my kids, you're in school to teach my kids, not talk about who you're banging or who they are. You know, all those kind of things. So that kind of stuff, you know, it's like the whole marriage thing. You know, we had this big talk a while back about gay marriage. I don't believe in gay marriage, but only because I don't think the state should sponsor any marriage, including heterosexual marriage. It's not that I'm against two people who are in a committed relationship. I just don't think the state should be involved in that uh, on either side of the equation. So all of these things add up, but I was really surprised uh, because the one thing I didn't know is that we really truthfully didn't have civil rights protections on sexual orientation throughout the state. Most states do. I was shocked that we did not, especially considering Louisville and Lexington, uh, used the bully pulpit, if you will, to push the LGBTQ agenda, and the LBD, 
LGBTQ uh, you know, is, is really big in the two largest cities in the state, and we don't have anything at a statewide level? That surprised me. That surprised me. So this is something we need to get around to. Um, yeah, and, you know, and like I say, it's, it's, it's not, it wasn't doing anything wrong. I don't think they, you know, I don't want them, whether they're hetero or whatever, I don't want teachers sharing with their, their opinions about sexuality. But, you know, and, and, the, and my final comment on this, I don't know if you have more, it's going to be, it's kind of like some of the people that might, Try to conceal their sexuality and politics and stuff. And right. Kind of a running joke. They're really poorly kept secrets. You know, he probably officially came out as bad, and a kid could 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 identify with that. But it's also probably something along. I would imagine internally, it's something along the lines of a lot of the students, most of the students, probably all the students that know him are probably like, yeah. And <laughs> like, right, okay, right, so, right. Yeah, we, we all, you know, the kids are pretty sharp. They're probably like, uh, yeah, is that that a that's news? Well, you know, and here's here's the way this whole thing went down. The, the, the teacher's name was Nick Briner, right? So according according to Garth's story, uh, sometime around the end of March of 2017, one of Briner's students told him okay. that she was a lesbian. And that her parents weren't taking it very well. And over spring yeah. break of 2017, one of his students, another student, texted him that, that told him that this young lady had just sent them a suicide note. So he called the police, went with them to the, with the police, went to her house with the police, and they got to her in time to stop the suicide. So it's not like he was doing anything on the side. I mean, he did everything he could possibly do. So he felt that, you know, if... You know, a teacher well, that she liked to have a relationship knew actually, what she yeah, was going it's, through. It's you know, actually, it's actually above and beyond. That tells me I totally these agree. Kids, these kids respect and trust this teacher in some cases more than their own parents. And the superintendent right. is foolish enough to offload a teacher like that to boot a teacher right. like that. I mean, the kids. He he saved a kid's life, you know. He did everything by Absolutely. the book. He is so. Well, he went above and beyond the book. Yeah, I agree with you oh, there. Yeah, this this wasn't this wasn't at school. This was you know, after hours. Right. He he stopped what he was doing and and did what he could to help the, all teachers. You know, I don't want to. It would be impossible for all teachers to be that dedicated. But I mean, he's that right. dedicated, and it's none of their goddamn business. I hope he. I hope he gets his job back, and I, in the process, I hope he he manages to get a superintendent or a couple bureaucrats fired. What's really interesting here is he may not have much of a legal leg to stand on, and here's why. Um, you know, he did all of this uh, since this happened. He, according to Briner, he has intervened in 17 cases of young people who are considering suicide over their sexuality. Some of his former students uh, have urged him to continue doing what he's doing, being vocal and outspoken and, and suing Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. So he filed a federal lawsuit against Montgomery County schools. Yet U.S. District Judge Karen Caldwell dismissed the lawsuit that he filed last month, saying that federal law doesn't bar discrimination based on sexual orientation. So essentially they're saying that he has no suit because federal law doesn't do anything with that. 
<laughs> so, you know, of course, of course he's appealing the ruling because the Equal Opportun- Employment Opportunity Commission, federal, right, has ruled that sexual orientation is protected under federal law that bars discrimination based on sex. However, the U.S. Supreme Court hasn't weighed in on it yet. So this is stuff that's going to continue going on, um, you know, because we're waiting on a Supreme Court to weigh in on it. So he has appealed the ruling. But, but it's fascinating that, you know, the EEOC tells us that this is protected federal law, and a U.S. district judge says that it's not. Well, what is the EEOC for then? Why do we have to follow anything the EEOC says yeah. if they're not going to back it up? So this, this is pretty interesting. So I think we're going to be looking at a well, and I, a I, ruling. If, if, it um, work, if it doesn't work that way, I think it's gotten to a point where, you know what, if a bunch of teachers can protest a pension plan and then protest the pension plan via vetoed, right. you know, they, I don't know which way they want to right. go, if they can protest that, then I'll tell you what, a bunch of kids, kids in, uh, it would be Montgomery County, as you, I think you said it was, they can just not right. go to school, and they can just they can just boycott the damn school because I mean, sure, why not? Yeah, they should. They should. They should. Just yeah, I think I think I, honest goodness, honest goodness, this whole public school system. I think every parent in Kentucky should keep all of their kids home for a full week. Just keep them at home for a week. They won't do it because they don't want the responsibility to take care of their own kids. But but just completely empty these schools for a full week during daggone end of term semester exams. Period. The end. And see what they do then when they lose all this money. Let's bring Paul in real quick. Well, if we can get this button to work. There we go. Paul, you're on here. You got a button to work. That's great, Ed. I'm happy for you, man. Okay. Hey, listen. Uh, I'm halfway this, there. <laughs> uh, on this Montgomery County thing, uh, you brought up a pretty good point, and that is who writes the laws in this country? Does Bureaucratic government agencies such as the EEOC, do they write the laws or do legislatures, does the legislators write the laws and the judiciary branch interprets and enforces? So I think that you're, you're questioning why does the EEOC exist, number one, and number two, the fact that in this, this district judge level, which is a not the highest, but uh, level. Why does the district judge believe that the EEOC is not following current law? Uh, and see that Ed Martin is a small business guy, and he's got employees. This is what drives small business people nuts. You get you get a government agency that is not the law, in effect, dishing out laws that employers must follow even though there may not be any legal basis for following the rules that this commission uh, uh, promulgates. So uh, I think this one's going to end up at the up at the Supreme Court, and I think that's what the whole point of it is anyway, is to get it to the Supreme Court and see what the Supreme say. It's possible. It's possible. You know, and, and that's the thing. Caldwell, the, the judge in this particular case, is a President George Bush appointee back in 2001. Uh, she was confirmed by the Senate back in 2001, um, and she received her commission October 24, 2001. She became chief judge um, on October the 15, 2012. So, so is this? You know, we talk all the time about the local courts and a lot of these courts being 
run by liberals who, who put their daggone personal liberal agenda ahead of the law. Uh, are we looking at the same thing reverse here? Is Judge Caldwell one of these stalwart, you know, religious, ultra-religious right conservatives appointed by George Bush? Is she using her, you know, her, her own opinion about whether she approves of a gay lifestyle as part of her ruling? You know, there's a lot of questions here now that come up. Um, you know, so so it's very fascinating to me. I uh, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but Judge well, me, Caldwell, me, I'm, looking at, I'm judge. looking at it thinking, yeah, yeah. You know, the judicial, the legislative, screw them. If the kids, the kids feel strongly about it, the kids should just boycott the damn school. Well, you know, that's it. That's it. So you know, we could be looking at the same teach, thing. Yeah, teach teach two or three branches of government. You know what's what, and take the money away from them. Right. Just don't go to school for a couple of days. That'll, that'll straighten your ass out. There you go. There you hey, go. Listen, let me, you know, all let these things. Curve, go ahead. Let me throw this curveball at you guys, okay? Now, right, me, have, me having said what you what I've said, and me and you guys having said what you said, you know there is another element to this that is just not easy to reconcile, and that is if we're truly going to judge people. On the basis of merit, and this guy was was judged on the basis of a personal preference that just doesn't fit well with a, a rural Kentucky community, but yet by many accounts, he was doing a pretty good job in the classroom, all right? Absolutely. How do we reconcile that as a society? That, that to me, seems to be a, a, an issue that – or, excuse me, a situation – that we just can't seem to get resolved in our society. We're always at each other's throat over the details. Okay. Well, yeah. that's purely intentional. Yeah, it's the identity you know, it's politics. Just, it's, it's the tribalism. It's like, why, you know, and, and I, I feel this frustration a lot because, you know, I, I did the third party thing for a while. And it's just like in this case, I look at something like this and say, can we just let the man do his job and go mind your own fucking business? Well, I mean, that's it. You know, this guy wasn't trying to do anything to his students or the classroom. And quite frankly, I've got to get to another phone call in a second, but quite frankly, uh, he, hopped on, uh, he hopped on Instagram, and, and here's what the message said. Here's what the message said. I honestly never intended to come out. I've known I was bi for years, but as far as I was concerned, that was nobody's business but my own. It's something I've never pursued and honestly likely never will. A couple of weeks ago, however, I was working with a person who was struggling. This was partially due to their orientation. I felt that they needed to know there was someone in the room that understood and supported them, regardless of who they were. As terrifying as it was to admit, I had to value someone else's well-being over my own privacy. After a lot of support from people, I decided that 30 years was long enough to wait. Hey, world, I am what I am. So that was the Instagram tweet that, that probably got him fired. Uh, you know, and that's the thing. Let's bring McAdam in real quick. McAdam, you're on the air. Well, gentlemen, you're wrong again as usual. Uh, we ain't going to spend the next 20 minutes somebody, doing this like game. The, the like federal government in the background. <laughs> the federal government doesn't have any jurisdiction over morality. The states do. The states under the federal constitution have what's called police power, and that is 
the, the, the authority to pass laws to protect the health, welfare, safety, and morals of its citizens. Hang on one second. Hang on one second. Paul, I'm going to put you in the queue real quick because the background noise is coming from your end. All right, I'll open you back up in just a minute. Go ahead, Mr. McAdam. <clears throat> what happens is the states have the authority to regulate morals. The federal government doesn't. When the 64 Civil Rights Act was passed, there was Title VII included in it, and originally they, it was supposed to protect people in employment from discrimination on the basis of race and religion. Uh, the Southern senators, in an effort to kill the bill, added gender so that uh, it would be illegal to discriminate against people because of their sex, whether they were male or female, back in the good old days when there were only two sexes. Okay, well, instead of killing the deal, uh, the, the, the law was passed anyway because of pressure from, uh, from uh, Lyndon Johnson, and, and who convinced the Southern Democrats they'd, they'd better vote for it. And so then, ever since then, every interest group in the world has tried to tack stuff on to Title VII. Uh, they try to ta tack on um, um, sexual orientation. Every time this comes up in Congress, it's voted down. Now, the EEOC, you've you got to remember, who wants to serve on the, on the EEOC? Well, people that are, that, are, that are pretty much liberally oriented, you know, you don't get a lot of conservatives appointed to the, to the EEOC. And so they decided, just pretty much on their own, to include that in their enforcement. And so this has been a battle that's been going on for the last 20 years in the courts. And the, and the courts of appeal, the circuit courts of appeal, are, are split. The second, second Circuit says uh, that EEOC is right. The Seventh Circuit says the EEOC is wrong. So eventually this is going to have to be resolved by the United States Supreme Court. The real question here is whether or not you want administrative agencies to be making laws um, dealing with morality or whether you want your elected state representatives to do it. If you leave it up to the state representatives, like in Kentucky, <clears throat> mm -hmm. all the attempts to, to include uh, sexual orientation in the Kentucky Civil Rights Act has, has failed. Now, we've got five different cities, municipalities, like Louisville and Lexington, the, the usual conclaves of, of liberalism, who have added in their local ordinances. Let's cut to uh, the chase. Let's cut to the chase. We're going to cut to the chase right. here. The Federal right. Equal Employment Opportunity – oh, I have to. We're going to run out of time if we don't. We could do this for an hour. The Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has ruled that this is protected under federal law. So here's the thing. Now, you've explained right. the Second and the Seventh Court of Appeals and everything else. Supreme Court hasn't weighed in on this. You said this fight's been going on 20 years. I'm not going to argue with you one bit about all that. I know you're right. Okay? So why does EEOC exist? Who are they to rule on anything? And why do we even have an EEOC if, for anything other than race-related discrimination? If, well, if their if their when, opinions when, don't when Congress, matter, when Congress creates administrative agencies, usually as part of the act creating them is to give them the authority to make reasonable regulations to to enforce the statute. 
what has happened in the EEOC is is their zealotry has got taken over, and they've included stuff that wasn't originally intended. But lo, let's look at the basic idea here. How much morality should the government enforce? Okay, I'm, I'm not Whether even going to get into state. that right now. I'm not that that, okay. that, that could take that could you've take five programs. Teacher, you've got a school teacher who was not hired to give sexual orientation uh, counseling to students. He was hired he for did another not. purpose. Well, apparently he did. Apparently he has counseled well, have, a number oh, okay. of students. Now, since his, since the, his the question is, the question is, who should determine whether or not bisexuality is immoral? Should should the government do that, or should it be as? Well, here as we go. Ed, so here we go. Here's the question. Here's Ed the question. Says Ed, Ed says this it's teacher a didn't matter. do anything in the classroom. No, this teacher didn't do anything in the classroom wrong. He got a text from one of his students. Every teacher gives their daggone text out to their students. They can text them with problems. That's normal today. He gets a text from a student who says, hey, it's, we're going to use Sally. He gets a text that says, Sally is going to commit suicide. I just received a suicide note. He rushes to that house, calls the police first, goes with the police to the house to make sure her parents know what's going on and everything else. It was handled appropriately through law enforcement. And it made him think on his own time, on his own Instagram account, that, hey, maybe maybe this would help somebody if they knew that somebody like me was the same way. So he puts out this innocent little Instagram post that I just read to, to you and everybody else, all right? And he gets fired for putting out an Instagram post that was away from school, not on, not, not on his classroom. He's not counseling anybody. One student okay. threatened suicide. Sally, he got them what if help. Sally was, what if Sally was 16 years old and he texted her that he would like to have sexual intercourse with her? He did not on text his own her. Time, he did not privately. text her. Okay, what if he, he did just not told text her? her? Okay, what if he met with her and said, Sally, I would like to have sex with you? And she's 16, and it's not in the classroom, and it's on his own time, and it's his own private business. Would you have a problem That's with apple, that? It's apples and oranges. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, it is, because he never texted. He never texted this individual personally at all. He put this out on his own public Instagram account. He, he never had any her, contact with this person outside of He told her no. not to feel bad about it because he was bisexual. What if he was in favor of incest? You know, incest on is Instagram. immoral, and it also happens to be illegal, but there's a lot of people who don't think he never told her ought anything. to be illegal. But he never well, told her anything. Out, how did she find out that he was bisexual? He came out. She read his Instagram. He read. She read his Instagram account. Oh, okay. Well, he shouldn't have done that. You know. Well, he, so why because, not? It's his time. It's his personal account. Well, he didn't. What, he didn't. He didn't chastise the school. What if it's he didn't so do anything? So so his Facebook account, and so he what, comes so out of his Facebook account in favor of incest. Should he lose his job over that? So what we're saying. What we're saying. Sure, that's an illegal act. If you're a teacher, if you're a teacher, that you're, you, you should keep your sexuality hidden from children's kids. They should never. They should be relatively clueless and and completely in the dark. Is that what we're saying? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So what happens? As I said earlier, what happens when a a female teacher marries a, a guy? Then their sexuality is is front and center. She has a husband, and she has a kid. Well, then we know what she was doing. We're getting doing. way away from it. We're now. getting way away from yeah. the topic. I'm just We're... saying. I'm just saying. That's that's. It, you know, this this need to conceal certain sexualities versus other sexualities. Yeah. You're going to conceal them. Good luck concealing them all. 
I so think here's it's inappropriate for school teachers to talk to their students about their sexuality. And and again, there there is no record at least according, at least forty two stories. Right. And he never mentioned the student by name. He ne- he he never said anything. He called the police to go to her parents when he found out about the suicide attempt. That was it. So he he never he never contacted this student. Now, since he has been terminated, since he was terminated, he has talked to seventeen different people according to his admission. All right. If you want to talk about that, well, he's a private citizen. He can do advocacy work. He's not working for the school at that point. So you know, to to me, to me, there's a clear distinction here. Now I understand. I, I get your opinion. I understand it completely. But when I'm looking at the federal EEOC that has ruled that something is protected, and take sexual orientation out of the mix here. I mean, it could be anything. The reality to me is the EEOC has said. Yes, this is acceptable, and we can't get the Supreme Court to weigh in. So we've got two different appeals courts, the second and the seventh, as you so eloquently pointed out. All right, we've got two different appeals courts who disagree on this. It's been going on for 20 years. This is a federal well, agency. Congress, Congress disagrees with it too. Congress has repeatedly I, turned down attempts to include sexual orientation as there's part nothing of Title to change. VII. But the but no, Congress, I mean, I've I, I got news for you. As far as I'm concerned, well, as far as I'm concerned, let the U.S. Supreme Court weigh in. Then Congress has has a decision to make on whether they want to take it further or not. We have a Supreme Court case out there. Why would Congress take this up when you've got two differing appeals courts here? I mean, for me, I can see why Congress don't take it up. Now, of course, you know, everybody's going to say it's a Christian right conservatives, but this isn't a new law. When the Democrats had all the power, they wouldn't take it up either. All right. So this isn't a situation where it's Republican or Democratic Congress, but we've got two differing appeals court decisions and the Supreme Court hasn't weighed in and something that's been going on 20 years. To me, this is a deficiency in the system. We're allowing a federal agency to basically say what's acceptable and what's not, whether they have the authority to or not. And the Supreme Court, who should be weighing in on this stuff and going ahead and settling this matter once and for all, because the LGBTQ is a hell of a thing in this country today, and they're still refusing to do their job. Why? That's the problem for me. Why? Well, the case hasn't come before them yet, but it will, because there's a conflict between Uh – the the Supreme Court has to rule when there's a conflict between the various circuit courts of appeal – they have to settle the battle, and they will. It's just a matter of time. Well, in the meantime, you, you've got access, in the meantime, you've got if, Congress wanted, if Congress wanted to outlaw discrimination in employment on the basis of sexual orientation, they could have done it, and they've had plenty of opportunity. It's pretty obvious that they don't want to do it. It's pretty obvious that the yeah, Kentucky well, legislature we'll that, doesn't we'll want to do it. We'll put that right up, well, yeah. And as far as, as far as the Kentucky legislature, the U.S. Congress goes, we'll put that right up there with a lack of balls because I want to put it right in there. With absolutely. And, and, and absolutely. And I, really don't, I really don't care what Congress has or hasn't taken up, and I really don't care what the state legislature has or hasn't taken up because they both pretty well suck at their jobs. Well, you can rewrite hey, our, the our Constitution Congress. if you want to, Ed. If you don't like democracy, then maybe we should make you king, and you can decide oh, who's sexual no, orientation. You, no, 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 no. You're not going there. You're, You're not going that route on my I'm buddy, a, I'm a part of the great libertarian conspiracy. 
Well, we want to take over the government and then let you live your life. We ain't going to play that bullshit. I, uh, no, but, you know, seriously, though. You know, I, I don't agree you with think that, that the government Congress should enforce? Don't you believe? Don't both of you guys believe the government should enforce moral principles? I believe the government should enforce their own laws, and I believe if, if you're having this situation, well, should the laws should the laws reflect moral principles? Down the road. Well, that, that's not for me to decide. That's why we elect people. The public. That, that's no, what these politicians only. Only. I think. Well, I think as far as the. You see, the problem is, is moral principles, using a word like that, it's like saying common good. I think uh, the government's ability to enforce morals, period, ends at the Bill of Rights. And if, you're, if the government's attempt to enforce morals interferes you know, on me, if it enforces morals on me, interferes with any of my at least first ten rights in the Bill of Rights, then no, the government has no business in it. And they can just so, well, so the government, the government, the government says it's immoral for you to have sex with your daughter, okay? And you think that interferes with your constitutional rights? You, you find something in the Constitution that, that I can't see there, Ed. I don't you know. guys are not going to waste the rest of this show going back and forth on bullshit. All right, the bottom line is, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, there's two things here, all right? One, Ed Martin, you're right. Our, our Kentucky government does not have any balls. Mr. Martin, you're right. Does government get involved in moral things or not? Well, one of the moral things I think they have an obligation to do is take care of the people, is, is to fund the pensions. We have a moral obligation to fulfill what we promised these people, and they've kicked that can down the road, just like they're doing here. So I think it's a combination of both of you guys. In the meantime, I want to move on to a different story. Paul, I've got your, your mic back open, but I'm not going to leave it open but a couple of minutes for the background noise. You can weigh in if you'd like. Um, in the meantime, in the meantime, we've got another situation here I find interesting. Uh, apparently, Governor Bevin and, and the, uh, well, the, the state government, the Senate anyway, uh, Senate Bill 2, sponsored by Senate President Bob Stivers, is now going to the Senate floor for a vote. Essentially what this thing is going to do, uh, they're trying to approve a bill that would let state officials and agencies avoid a Franklin Circuit Court. Uh, now, of course, the Courier General is sitting out here trying to say they want to avoid one judge, Philip Shepard. But Chief Justice John Minton Jr. took the unusual step of testifying on this bill because he had concerns about it, constitutional and practical concerns, according to him. Here's the thing for me. According to this bill, the biggest practical concern that John Minton had was that the bill was too broad. In other words, any kind of case, whether it's divorces or anything else, in which a defendant is a state official or employee, they could ask for and get a new judge. What this particular bill is going to do is, when you request a new judge, the Chief Justice John Minton has to randomly assign a judge for the case involving state matters. Uh, I agree with Chief Justice Minton that this is too broad because this gives rights to state people that we don't have. I went through a divorce here a few years ago, and it was a nightmare. The case, my, my divorce case was handled by Judge Eleanor Garber, who, thank God, is now gone. She's the worst excuse for a judge I've ever seen in my life. She is a, she is a feminist a piss-poor judge of anything, in my opinion. And, you know, yeah, a lot of people say, well, you just sound bitter. No, I'm not bitter. She really screwed it all up. And I've got a thousand cases to back that up. So I don't think that we should allow state employees 
to have an unfair advantage over the rest of us. If we have a conflict with judges and divorce court or anything else, we should all have the same right to request a new judge. So if we're going to do this bill, I agree with Chief Justice Minton on that particular regard. However, this is going to allow government agencies and officials named as defendants in civil actions to request a different judge to get out of Franklin Circuit Court. Uh, now, I understand this has a lot to do with Matt Bevin, but at the same time, really truthfully, I think Franklin Circuit Court is stacked with nothing but a liberal idea, uh, idealist, if you will, as judge. Uh, Philip Shepard is one of the worst, in my opinion. He's a liberal through and through, doesn't really look at the merits of anything. He's going to protect the Democratic Party and the class. I don't never have liked the fact that Franklin Circuit Court decides everything when it comes to state government. We always have special prosecutors, if you will, uh, for cases that are big time. Jim King, for example, that case was given to special prosecutor to investigate. He was a dumbass, but at least it wasn't investigated here in Jefferson County. I do know that, that the network is going to be involved no matter what you do, but at least taking things out of Franklin Circuit Court and quit giving them all of this power to me would at least give us the appearance that we're trying to be fair in our courts when it comes to state matters. So I like Senate Bill 2. I, I, I agree with Judge Minton that the language needs to be tightened up because this should not apply to state employees, regardless of who they are, to automatically request a new judge. But if it involves Kentucky state government, I think that should be a legitimate right. I think Jefferson County should be allowed to, to do some of this. We've got 120 counties in Kentucky why is it that only one county out of 120 is entitled to decide all cases for state government when everybody in Kentucky is affected by those decisions? Who's on? Go. Uh, I I don't like it. It just it, to me it kind of smacks of uh, of, of kind of like they used to say doctor shopping back in the days when people would go around and you know and, and pharmacy shopping. I, it just smacks of, hey, I'm a state employee. I don't like the judge I get. I get to shop it out. Like you said, everybody else has to take the one they got. You know, no, I, I, don't, I don't like it. And if, if it, and if they, they don't like it and the Republicans are in charge, fine. You know, do what you got to do to get a conservative judge in. Because by the same token, Shepard, if people don't like him, pretty soon, you know, if we're too awful long, they may, we may find ourselves with a good solid conservative judge, and then if his laws passed, every half-assed Democrat horse crap that would normally go to a good conservative judge, hey, they'll shop it out. So no, I, I, screw the political class. You don't get to go judge shopping because you don't like you don't like this judge. It's off. Slug it out. You well, don't like his, you don't like you don't like you don't like you don't like what he said. Take it to the next level. Turn his ass. Well, that's the Supreme Court. Or the, or the see, court that's the field. problem. But that's the problem, because, and here's the problem for me. I've actually had a case go from this level to the appeals court, and it was all decided politically, not based on the merits of the case. I can prove that. All right, I'm not talking about my divorce. I'm talking about other cases. I'm not going to get into right now because it's time-consuming. But, you know, there, there have been cases um, that, that we have taken from our court to the appeals court and everything else, but it, but it essentially all comes down to political decisions. They're not based on the merits of the case. That has long been a disturbing part of it for me. Now, when you talk about judge shopping, with 120 different counties in Kentucky, Chief Justice John Minton has to randomly select a judge 
then I don't, I'm not sure that that's judge shopping because you have a lot of choices. Um, well, it's not a matter of that. Right now, right now, what we have essentially, um, you know, is one judge who's deciding everything for the entire state. Now, you randomly select a judge in one of these other 120 counties, go through the process with the appeals court and everything else, that's fine. I personally believe that would give us a more fair thing, but I do believe that the language needs to be tightened. McAdam, you're still here. What do you think? Well, he's no, still showing up on impossible. He, he <laughs> it. It's impossible. I've even got his microphone open. Oh, well. All right. But, you know, we got to look at all of this different stuff in play. For me, that, that that's important. I, I would like to see that fairer. I'm getting tired of, uh, you know, special prosecutors or, or, or political allies deciding everything. And I think that that gives us a better shot at at least presenting uh, the issue of fairness, whether it's true or not. All right. We're at the 8 o'clock hour. It is time to wrap up. Uh, Mr. McAdam, you had your chance. You're now in the queue. <clears throat> Uh, Ed Martin, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. One we didn't get to touch on. Uh, our mayor and his panic, panic, uh, his attempt to cause us to panic to agree to his uh, his, his emergency raise your insurance uh, tax budget, whatever you want to call it. You know what? I would encourage everybody to get on social media and start questioning. You know, I'm always saying question it. You know. One of your pet peeves, and I'll just bring this up. We don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but one of your pet peeves has always been that god-awful discretionary fund that the, the, the city council members get to use. I think it approaches two hundred grand a piece or something, where they can, you know, put their little signs up and say, you know, this team's sponsored by, you know, councilman or whatever, and they play their games. Yeah, first things first. Uh, if, if we're really in a bad way. We gotta start cutting back crap like that. We need to cut back that uh, cut back things like discretionary things like uh, like like uh, vouchered parking and everything. I mean, they're coming at they're coming at us looking for all sorts of money. And like I say, we gotta talk about this next week because it's gonna be dragging out. But you know what? I, I am firmly and more and more convinced that I, I even Democrat friends of mine are actually digging deeper than a lot of Republican friends of mine. I'm utterly and completely convinced right now that the mayor might be lying to us, flat out lying. I mean, there's politics is politics, you know, they, 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 they spin, but the more and more we look into the waste in government, the known waste in government, the known budget increases and everything else that, they, that they've done. So anybody that was half a businessman with half a brain for accounting can look at it and go, oh, there's a, there it is. That's why we don't have money. I'm convinced the mayor knows. I'm convinced his bureaucrat buddies know, and they're they're, they're essentially they're lying right now. And I would encourage anybody in the rural area to dig all you can and and definitely search places like their social media and stuff because it's it's booming right now. And, and you know, hopefully the council critters listen. Call your council critters. I don't have to worry about mine. Nineteen's always got a good conservative. But uh, yeah, I, I can't. I was hoping we'd get into it this week, but the, the mayor of Louisville may be full of crap, and I encourage everybody to call him on it. Well, you're absolutely right. It is one of my major pet peeves of discretionary funds, and I tell you why. And, and you know, we, we've had this come up more than once. 
Uh, Judy Green was using discretionary funds illegally. Uh, she was she was removed from office. She's not the only one that that has done that. We have case after case after case where these these council people, uh, primarily Democrats. Sorry, folks, there's only five or six Republicans left on the council. Um, you know, are, are spending their money in areas that they want votes at, uh, predominant voting areas. So they're buying votes essentially with our tax money. That is wrong at every level. I did plan on getting into that tonight, but we spent a lot more time on the uh, bisexual Montgomery school thing than I had anticipated, and that's okay. That's what this show is about. Let's just take it to the limit. I don't care about that. But Greg Fisher is a liar, has always been a liar, and as we mentioned last week, there's a hundred different ways to get the money they want, and nobody still, even after we have brought this up and I've sent this to prominent people uh, in Louisville, including politicians, including media folks, and nobody will ask the one basic question, why not sell Churchill Downs? 142 acres of prime real estate would take care of everything we've got that they continue griping about without costing us a dime. That's just the way it is. You know, if they would do better with our money than what they've been doing, we wouldn't be in this situation either. I'm getting sick of everybody lying to us and creating this doomsday device anytime they want money. The unfortunate reality is that they'll get it. They, they will get it. Greg Fisher and the Democrats on the council have all the power, so they're going to try to push everything they can down our throats. And if something were to go to the ballot box, they would make it happen there too because the liberals in this town are stupid enough to blindly follow. They are sheep. They're not leaders. They're sheep. And that's the sad reality of it. Um, you know, so thanks for bringing it up, Ed. I appreciate it. As far as anything else goes, I like the fact that we're now talking about the possibility of, of finally getting random judges to decide state government issues. Everybody in this state is involved with every decision made out of the Kentucky courts when it comes to government, with every decision made out of our state Congress. But we don't all have an equal voice in that. We don't have any voice in it. Franklin County gets to decide it all. One judge, Philip Shepard, gets to decide everything that happens in this state. That's too much power for one judge. I think it's, I think it's ultimately the responsibility of our Congress to give us at least the appearance of transparency and fairness. And I like this. I do agree with Chief Justice Minton's um, concerns about this being too broad. I really do. Um, if you're going to deal with state government, then let's do the random selection of judges. The chief justice is the one who has to randomly select. Who knows how that's going to work out? If he's doing things in fairness, he'll throw all the names in a hat and just choose one. Uh, you know, I mean, that's essentially what you need to do in a random selection. As far as state employees, I agree with his concerns. State employees should not have the right. Um, to do that in any case they want to, which is the way it's worded now. So Bob Stivers, I think, has a good idea, but as typical with Bob Stivers, he's not very good at details. Um, how this guy is Senate president is still beyond me, uh, but he is. So let's go with the idea, get the brains behind the scenes to, to rifle out all the, all the concerns and make it happen. With that said, that's a wrap for tonight, folks. We appreciate you being here, as always. Mr. Martin, thank you very much. Uh, same time, same channel. Thank you, sir. Same time, same channel next week, right here. Um, in the meantime, thanks for listening. Have a great week. Take care. God bless. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. 
I'm going to hang up this phone. And then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you.